Um, look, Dad, I got something to tell you. Can I wait, son? It's getting kind of dark. All right, Homer, come on, baby, right across the plate. Let me feel the wind. Whoa, strike two, two and two. Can you still see the ball, Bart? Don't worry, homeboy, you're not that fast. Oh, you don't think so, eh? Well, here comes some real heat. Whoa, yeah, strike three, you're out of there. So what was it you wanted to tell me, son? Oh, nothing, Pop. Four-finger discount, dude. Welcome to Four Figure Discount Revisited. This week we are here to review an episode. Uh, it may sound like a sweeping statement, but it is legitimately the episode that saved The Simpsons. It is episode 7G02, Bart the Genius. I am Dando. I am Guy. Nice to be here. Uh, you know, hanging out in the uh, elite class, in the uh, in the gifted class with the gifted podcaster, Mr. Dando. I feel like I've been kicked. I feel like I've been kicked upstairs. You know, sort of promoted to the. Uh, to where the smart kids hang out when I when I work with Dando. I'm afraid you're horribly mistaken, sir. <laughs> I, I, I am the millhouse of the podcast world. <laughs> Tell us a bit more about how this um, how this episode saved The Simpsons. What exactly do you mean by that? So it's common knowledge to hardcore Simpsons fans, but some of you may not be aware that Bart the Genius was the episode that they screened. So originally when they were producing The Simpsons, this was the second episode to be produced. The first one produced was called Some Enchanted Evening, which ended up being the finale of season one um, because it came back and it was horrible. The animation was all rubbery. <laughs> they, they, but it sounds silly, but they, they looked like cartoon characters and that's not what Matt Granning and James L. Brooks wanted. They wanted a realistic show in the form of, of animation. They just they hated Some Enchanted Evening. So they said, hey, David Silverman, we're giving you this next episode. It's called Bart the Genius. The show, you know, it, it, it all falls on you. If this doesn't come back good, then we're pulling the pin on production. James L. Brooks has literally said in the past that if this didn't come back good, he would have just said, nope, that's it. Stop production. The show's just gonna, not going to happen. Right. And it came back and they absolutely loved it. And of course, James L. Brooks said, yep, thumbs up. Let's go forward with the show. And thus, The Simpsons was born. So Bart the Genius legitimately <laughs> saved The Simpsons. The Simpsons. Dando, what can you tell me about David Silverman? What's your knowledge on him? Because, I mean, it's my understanding, flimsy as it is, that he's kind of a bit of an unsung genius, or maybe he's a properly sung genius, but he's he's very well regarded. Am I right? He is one of the backbones of The Simpsons as a whole. He's, first of all, an absolute gentleman. I've met the man. We've spoken to him. He, We interviewed him for our book. Uh, Homer's Odyssey is in the Big and Simpsons Guide, available in all good bookstores. He is just, yeah, like I said, an absolute gentleman. He's got time for anybody. He's so modest, but he is so pivotal to the success of The Simpsons. I mean, for example, he animated the opening sequence. You uh-huh. know? So he, he, is, he is like the animators of all animators when it comes to The Simpsons. He was responsible because he worked on the Tracy Ullman shorts. Um, so he was sort of he transitioned over. So they originally gave some enchanted evening that, that was directed by a man. The name escapes me, but he originally worked on Mighty Mouse, and he just didn't it just didn't didn't gel with what the Simpsons were going for. And they trusted David, and they said, "Look." And this was David's first chance directing a full length episode because um, it was only the second in production. And they said, "Look, we trust you. This is he's our man. Make it happen." And he made it happen. But yeah, David Silverman is, like you said, an unsung hero. He is one of the most important people in regards to the, the success of The Simpsons by far. 
there, as you said, there's never a bad word sort of said about David Silverman. He seems to be, uh, yeah, a bit of a hero in uh, in animation and creative circles. Yeah, he, I mean, he still works on the show to this day. You know, he's just he knows. It's funny. It's like he's, he knows he's got a good gig and he's just stuck with it. I mean, working for The Simpsons <laughs> is like. People say The Simpsons isn't as good as what it used to be, but if you're working for The Simpsons, it's still considered one of the highest regards in regards to like the entertainment industry. Like working for The Simpsons is it's not the mecca, but it's pretty freaking cool. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think he's sort of just like he's like the way I see David now is like the I imagine he's like the Obi One of the animators now. You know, he's he's the one. He, he might it's not be working on every episode, but you, you go to him for advice, and he's he's guiding everybody in the right direction. So what did you think of Bart the Genius? I really enjoyed this. I always forget that this episode came so early in the show's run. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I tend to, you know, have a fairly large grain of salt on hand when we uh, revisit Simpsons uh, season one uh, and maybe yeah. even season two to some part. I mean, as we've said in, you know, when we've done commentaries and when we've done uh, revisits about early episodes, it's very much finding its tone, finding its feet. Um, you can certainly see the uh, the genesis of what they're trying to do but they're not quite there yet and that, I'm not saying it's uh, it's bad to watch or uncomfortable to watch or even unentertaining to watch but it's like certainly room for improvement here guys and and I think they probably knew it as well and and you can see that uh, things got better exponentially as it went as it as it went along so but having said that I mean but the genius there's a lot of fun stuff in here I mean uh, I certainly wasn't going Good work, guys. I was like, mm, good work, guys. Yeah, I mean, um, there's a, look, there's a few gags that for mine that don't really land or that don't work. But I mean, I think that's more just my sense of humour than uh, than the way they're executed. Um, yeah, a fair bit to enjoy here. And as we've said about episodes that uh, that I think both you and I have enjoyed, it sort of uh, it aims for that balance of both heart and funny bone. It aims to sort of tickle both, or you know. <laughs> at least touch both. And I think this does a pretty good job with that. Not as deeply and effectively as, um, say, I Love Lisa, which we talked about for Valentine's Day, which I think is, you know, one that really threads the needle very, very well. But, you know, this uh, has a nice relationship between Bart and Homer, and um, it's got a few good gags in there as well. So, yeah, uh, nothing wrong with Bart the Genius as far as I'm concerned. How about yourself? Well, I listened to the audio commentary, and Matt Granny pointed out something that I thought was was true: is every episode from season one was an experiment. They hadn't seen any of the episodes yet. They didn't know what comedy was going to stick. They didn't know what the characters what worked best for the characters yet because they hadn't seen the characters on the screen yet. You know, hmm. so this was produced before they even really knew what the Simpsons were. And I think, as you pointed out. Yes, there was a lot that changed from the first season, but I think when you watch these first, you've pointed out even as well, like the first two seasons even, but most of the first season, you've got to watch these episodes and think not how bad it looks. It's like looking, you got to look at it and go, look how much of the show that exists now mm. still existed back then. Like the, like you said, the, the basis of the show in regards to like the, the, the dynamic between Skinner and Bart and things like little elements like that that played on throughout the the. the, the remainder of the golden era of the simpsons like these things existed in the second episode so that yes there was some crude uh visuals in regards to the animation and even in the commentary they pointed out even david silverman said we if only we had more time you know but just yeah. it just wasn't possible they were on a shoestring budget at that time 
they they didn't have the backing of Fox completely. They weren't a success yet, but Bartomania hadn't started. So they did the best of what they had, and I think they I think they stuck the landing. I think this is a really enjoyable episode that, as I mentioned, I completely I always just tend to forget how early it came in the show's run. Like the second mm. episode, it's pre- it's pretty good stuff. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, they um they've really nailed the world and the characters from the get go. Mm. It's just a, a matter of sort of you know doing a bit of polishing, a bit of a sanding down some rough edges. But yeah, for very early on, yeah, they've certainly nailed what they want to be, or they certainly got a really good idea of what they want to be. And yeah, then they just need to refine it, which they do, and they do very, very quickly, actually. So uh, yeah, I think they were off to a very good start with this. Now, this also has a, a, a place in the heart of many Australian fans, this episode, because as we discussed on the show last week or a couple of weeks ago, this was the first episode to ever air in Australia. So it's 7.30pm Sunday night on channel <laughs> at the time called ATV, channel ATV 10. Um, we now know it's just Network 10. 7.30pm on the Sunday, February 10th, 1991, Bart the Genius airs for the first time and thus The Simpsons was born in Australia. Um, just purely because of that, I just think I just I have a little soft spot for this episode because I still <laughs> remember watching my nan used to always tape The Muppets for me. Um, before she, she used to work at this local shoe factory called Grosby Footwear and she used to go before work I think the Muppets used to air at like 6am just old reruns of the Muppets and I worshipped the Muppets and she'd always take the Muppets for me but because she push, would push record and go to work of course the ads would be in it and I used to just watch these ads <laughs> over and over again because I was on this tape as you would back in the day you just watch rerun tapes and I remember one of the commercials was the premiere of The Simpsons um, and so I can still, and I've, I've lost that tape now. I used to have it here somewhere, but it's been, it must have been thrown out or something. But I can still visualize in my head that first commercial and going, what is this? And just being mesmerized <laughs> by these yellow characters on the screen. And just, yeah, about the genius will, like I said, always have a soft spot in my heart, purely because it was the, the debut of The Simpsons. It, it was always great when you saw an ad or a trailer or whatever that just piqued your imagination like that or mm. really piqued your interest. Yeah, I mean, uh, I find myself sort of going back to... Uh, to YouTube and uh, you know, sort of hunting down trailers from the golden years. It's like, oh yeah, God, that really just got me so hyped. Likewise with ads, yeah, very much the case. Hey, my favourite. What was your favourite moment from Bart the Genius? Uh, look, I was a fan of them going to the opera and, you know, with the best of intentions, you know, they're all suited and booted and thinking, oh, you know, we'll get a little bit of culture. Uh, and gradually just um, going full Simpsons with it, realising, eh, opera kind of sucks, let's make fun of it. And, um, every, well, not everyone joins in. I think I think Marge is very much, hmm, let's keep up appearances. But, you know, even Lisa, who's sort of like the most, who's the smartest and probably most cultured of the uh, of the Simpsons clan, Although maybe not, we'll get to that in one second. Um, she's laughing along with all the immature jokes about all the fart noises and you know the the dumb lyrics that they give to the opera and all that stuff. I thought that was I thought it was a very sweet moment. I liked it a lot actually. That was also my favourite moment because I think just that moment there completely epitomises what The Simpsons is. You know, mm. they're your, your <laughs> average run of the mill middle class family. I mean, most average people going to the opera probably wouldn't behave completely like this, but they'd be they'd want to. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I just loved the way that they had Martin's family be the one that go, who's that up there? <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, yeah, so, and, and it's, it's, Bart in that moment genuinely has some funny one-liners. Like, how could a bull miss a guy's butt that big or something oh, like yeah. that? It's really, yeah, really the whole funny lyric, stuff. 
all the lyrics that it gives, duh, 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 you know, the stuff about the you know the torre door and the and the cuspidor and don't spit on the floor. It's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure that you know that one of the writers in the Simpsons room probably did that when they were a kid. They heard that that sort of classic piece of opera music and just put you know little snarky lyrics to it. So um, yeah, I, th- I, I like that bit a lot. But having said that, I mean, I, I said that Lisa was you know maybe the smartest of the Simpsons. It's a very it's a Great visual gag to open the episode that Maggie is playing with her um her blocks and she's spelling out E equals MC squared. Yeah, oh, no, yeah. <laughs> it even just goes to show that even in the even in the show's earliest episodes, they're still sneaking in little visual gags where they probably didn't even need to, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no frame is wasted. Next question. You there, eating the paste. So trivia for Bart the Genius, Mr. Davis. You kick off for me this week. I've only got three questions. How many have you got? Um, I've got five, but uh, they're not great, so I'll pick the three best ones. <laughs> okay, you go first. <laughs> okay, then. Uh, the name of the school psychologist who recommends that Bart goes to a uh, academy for the gifted. What is his name? I believe it is Dr. Richard Pryor. Uh, you're very close. It is not the uh, the famous stand-up comedian. Uh, it, is actually, <laughs> it is actually Dr. J. Lauren Pryor. J. Which, Lauren Pryor, yes. Which strikes me as just a perfect stuck-up you know, academic name. You know, you see it's it on very some, good, isn't it? some dirty, great, thick academic tome that you just would never read. Dr. G. Lauren Pryor. All right. Hit me with your first <laughs> question, Dando. Uh, my first question is, how much does Skinner want Margin Homer to have to pay for the spray paint? Um, it is $75, I believe. Correctamundo. What's that about? $90 Australian? Um, oh, at the current exchange rate? I don't know, yeah, probably something that. like three. Probably something like three hundred. Yeah, it's not too much money, really, when you think it's got to to face an entire wall. But I um I still do love that little spray paint. The fact that Homer, as they're walking in, is saying the button needs to get straight, then laughs at the spray paint. <laughs> he sure is. Yeah. <laughs> Your next question. Uh, my next question: What is the name of the opera that the Simpsons family attends? Oh, I have no idea. What is it? They don't actually say it out loud, but they pass a poster for mm. Carmen. Carmen. Okay. That, that's yes. just one word. Carmen, like share. Carmen, Carmen yes. Uh, I believe it is by a Spaniard named Bizet or Bizet. Uh-huh. Okay, then. There you go. All right. My next question is, what was Bart's IQ? What's Martin's IQ? <laughs> the question be. That is a question that I also had down here. Uh, <laughs> 216 is his fake IQ. You sure it's not 912? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Hang on, let me turn that up. Oh my god! <laughs> as as Doctor Price says, that's still incredibly high. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll skip that one off. Um, what is the breakfast cereal that uh, may have contributed to Bart's genius, such as it is? Ooh, that. Well, Bart's favorite cereal is Krusty O's. It's Krusty O's, right? It's Krusty brand, but it's Krusty not Krusty band. O's. Oh, what is it? Krusty brand cereals? What is it? Krusty brand what? It is Frosty Krusty Flakes. Frosty Krusty Flakes. Wow. I can't believe it. I believe so. Yeah. Well played, sir. My final question here is, Mm -hmm. what is the name of Bart's, not teacher, what was the other term, that learning coordinator, I believe they called it? (laughs) (laughs) Again, I also had this one, Miss Melon. (laughs) Okay. Oh, man, it's not fair. You had my questions. All right. Yeah, Ms. <laughs> Mellon. What a nice little touch there. She was also voiced by Marsha Wallace. 
I did have, I've got written down here, same voice as Mrs. K. It's like, you know, the, um, I was about to say, what's the opposite of, of Bizarro in, in Superman world? You know, you know, Bizarro from uh, Superman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I guess normal. <laughs> I mean, um, they're, like, they're like Bizarro versions of each other because, you know, you can really hear Mrs. K and Miss Milan. But it's she's like parallel very, universe, yeah. She's a lot more sort of chill and, you know, a bit like, um, a bit like Jerry from Soul. You know, with the whole yeah. quiet coyote, quiet coyote. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. That's exactly I, I it. Love, yeah. I, lo- I love that bit in Soul. I think that's hilarious. Quiet coyote. Apparently, it's a thing that uh, the teachers do in the States. Really? That well, Since uh, Soul, Soul came out or? No, no. I think beforehand. Oh, okay. Just what, a way to just relax the kids or? I think so, yeah. I mean, and they do a little they do a little hand gesture. You know, it looks like the, it looks like the, um, the death horns for death metal. In Australia, we just say, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, well, that is trivia for Bart the Genius. We'll be right back with our review after this short break. This week's four-figure discount is brought to you by our incredible $20 patrons, Jordan, Moleman, Richie, Nick Barbaro, Andrew Zer, Christopher Darby, Chris Malion, Will Manthorpe, Ben Smith, Noah Daniel, Matt Thompson, Mark Boston Burgess, Alex Rodriguez, Tom Pickering, Kane Von Nagy, Josh Hedge, Sean Davey, Keith Nedham, Sam Bennett, Timothy Belson, Brandon Twitchell, Nick James, Bitch, Cal McDonald, Shannon Hofer, Nicole Catalina Wine Mixer, George McMenemy, Zach Pruitt, Jonathan Rossi, Adam Sanderson, Stephen Roberts, Seth Weens, Daniel Kotnick, and our new $20 patrons, Ali Jamie, and the iconic June fucking Richards. Also, shoutouts to our new $5 plus patrons, Jordan Diddy, Morris Sandry, Ben Kempton, Sophie, Stephanie Mahoney, Chris Reynolds, and Hugh Jass. You guys are all absolute champions. Don't forget, if you want to jump on board the Four Finger Discount Patreon bandwagon, you're just going to go to patreon.com slash fourfingerdiscount where you get access to hours upon hours of exclusive bonus podcasts each and every month, as well as this podcast a week early. But for now, I hope you can sit back and enjoy our review of Bart the Genius. All right, the original air date in America of Bart the Genius was January 14th, 1990. The episode was written by John Vitti, directed by David Silverman. The chalkboard gag, very simple, but I like it. I will not waste chalk. And <laughs> the couch gag is the family all jump onto the couch, but flies off, gets like uh, squeezed off, goes into the air. And they do something here that they don't normally do. I don't think they ever do again, where they have a bit of animation in front of the TV where Bart falls in front of the TV as ah. the credits are closing there. So the episode kicks off with, as you mentioned, Maggie stacking up the blocks, the E equals MC square. Uh, th- just a little hidden gag there that kids wouldn't even notice that. It's just there for the adults. Very, um, oh, yeah. I, I, like, I like that. The family are all playing Scrabble. What I liked about this scene was you can work out each character's role in the show purely from this Scrabble game. Oh, yeah. Homer's, Homer's the dingbat. Bart's the, the the young rebel, Lisa's the know-it-all, and Marge is the peacekeeper. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, and just a lot of good gags in there. I mean, you know, Homer not uh, not realizing that he's got just a you know a killer scrabble uh, scrabble hand on his tiles there, and um, yeah, <laughs> how could anyone make a word of these lousy letters? Not knowing he doesn't have, <laughs> not really, he's got he's got oxidized there, which is you know got some really hardcore scrabble tiles in there. I mean, mm. I think Z and X get you like you know, double figures, don't they, or something? I can't remember the scores, but that's really good. And, um, I think also that, you know, Lisa's sort of talking about id. This is, I reckon this is where a lot of people might have actually learned about the id. If you're a kid watching this, you'd be like, ooh, <laughs> you might, you'd probably go around the schoolyard the next day talking about the id and the superego and stuff and, you know, probably getting a wedgie or something. 
The kids went to school the next day. The smart ones went to school saying id. The dumb ones went to school saying os os. Yeah. Or they went saying kujibo and calling people kujibo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, about that, I mean, I'm I'm not a huge fan of the kujibo joke for some reason. You're not? Okay. I get it and I understand why it works. But for some reason, it's just like, this just doesn't land with me. And I think I think it's just my might be my personal sense of humour, which is, you know, individual as your fingerprints. Sometimes something lands and sometimes something doesn't. But the whole Quidgeybo thing, I'm like, eh, why don't I like this? And I don't know. I'll think about it more and maybe get back to you. But uh, anyway, please continue. Sorry. I'm- I like that it's the, the setup for, A, the Bart character. You know, he's quick on his feet. He knows how to talk mm. his way out of it. At, not talk his way out of anything, but he, he likes to attempt to at least. But what it does is it basically sets up the story. Because the story of this episode as a whole is... Well, the, the sort of the, the the sub story of it is that Bart and Homer aren't getting along. Homer doesn't like that Bart's being naughty. But then when he thinks he's a genius, he all of a sudden they're bonding. He wants to spend more time with him. He appreciates him more. Um, you know, kisses him, plays baseball with him, whatnot. But then when he finds out that he cheated, they go back to where they were in the Quidjibay moment. So it's sort of like a full circle kind of thing, you know. It's funny as well. They're getting along even when Bart's misbehaving as well. Well, that's sort of like the th- the thing is that. So when he thinks Bart's a genius is that he learns he, he now thinks that Bart's misbehavior isn't because he's just a shit kid it's because he's a genius <laughs> this is what this is his coping mechanism for dealing with his boredom so as opposed to if Bart was being naughty beforehand he'd go Bart and start choking him or whatever but now mm. he thinks oh this is just a smart kid behaving like a smart kid doing what he does to kill the boredom that's yeah. that's why he's able to sort of appreciate it. but it's great because it sort of shows that Bart and Homer are so similar and it was nice to see them bonding. It's a, it's mm. a real shame. I didn't really like the way it ended in the sense of Bart want, uh, Homer wanted to choke Bart and tell him off for punish being, him. Uh, yeah. for, for punish him for, 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 for lying. But I'm just like, oh, no, the, the whole baseball scene, it really got to me. I thought it was sweet. Well, I think that's kind of their baseline. I think they, you know, they're always going to ret- return to an, um, an area of kind of mutual affection and tolerance for the most part. And there's going to be the odd flare up. Yeah, there's more, there's more love than hate there, generally speaking. Definitely. Yeah, so we get the, the, the big, dumb, balding North American ape. Uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't mind it. But apparently there's, um, there was a virus that was uh, launched. The, the Quid, like Quidjibo helped inspire it. Um, really? I'll just Google it quickly when- now. They said it in the audio commentary, the Quidjibo computer virus. Let's have a look. I was, about to, say compu- I was about to say computer virus or like you know, COVID virus, coronavirus. <laughs> Imagine if some, you know, wag in a science lab, because, I mean, this is an episode that's 30 years old. Someone who's grown up on The Simpsons is now like some, uh, you know, some brilliant uh, microbiologist or something, gives it the nickname Quidgibo, <laughs> and it gets loose. <laughs> and then all these all these newsreaders like Ken Brockman around the world have to say, the Quidgibo virus has, you know, infected Hong Kong, 19 million dead or something along those lines. See, the Quijibo is one of those Simpsons references where you don't really have to be a hardcore fan to, to get it, but it's not a reference that it's not like a uh, everything's coming up Millhouse kind of reference. If yeah, you know it's what I mean. not a so, su- it's not a super deep cut, but it's not professionals only either. It's uh, it's yeah somewhere in the middle. So I believe it's the Melissa computer virus. I'm just looking up here. The Melissa virus was a mass mailing macro virus released on or around March 26th, 1999. As it was not a standalone program, it was not classified as a worm. It targeted Microsoft Word and Outlook-based systems and created considerable network traffic. The virus would infect computers via email. 
the email being titled Important Message From, followed by the current username. Upon clicking the message, the body would read, Here's that document you asked for. Don't show anyone else with a smiley face. Attached was a Word document titled List.doc containing a list of pornographic sites and accompanying logins for each. It would then mass mail itself to the first 50 people in the user's contact list and then disable multiple safeguard features on Microsoft Word and Microsoft Outlook. The virus was released in 1999 by David Lee Smith. The virus itself was credited to Quijibo, who was shown to be the macrovision. Yeah, so Quijibo inspired that virus, yeah. Pretty cool. And a good bit of trivia for us, Dando. Thank you, man. Yes, so we're now at the school. And we see someone is spray painting Skinner, uh, I am a wiener, on the wall. We're not quite sure who yet. We just see the hand. <laughs> and we see the first introduction, uh, introduction. No, no, it's not the first introduction to Skinner. It's the, uh, it's the second because he was in the first episode as well. But this is the first time we get to see Skinner being Skinner. Yes, yes. Um, as opposed to just introducing people at the Christmas pageant. So he's you know, telling people to throw out their gum and whatnot. Then we get the visual that gets used in uh, memes quite a lot, the pathetic so it's like looking up at Skinner, looking down on the kids, and <laughs> it's um it's a great meme for to, for defining when you think something's pathetic. So then we see Martin, and he's pointing out to Skinner that uh, there is someone defacing the wall. You should go see it. And Skinner catches Bart red-handed, doesn't he? <laughs> I've got a bit of a soft spot for Martin because I like uh, you know I like SWATs and smart kids, but this is not a good introduction to Martin Prince. He's a snitch. He's a grammar Nazi. And uh, later on in the classroom, I mean, we'll we'll get to it in a minute. But the whole the whole test thing, where he's kind of like, "Hey, isn't Bart supposed to have his desk door?" Sorry, that's you know, squeaky voice teen. But it's also my squeaky default voice, voice guy. for <laughs> yeah, it's my default voice for any young character. Um, you know, reminding the teacher to you know turn Bart's desk to the window, all of which is just like. <laughs> Terrible, terrible form. Not a fan of Martin Prince based on these on these first few actions. No, because you watch this, so when Bart eventually does cheat on the test and all the IQ test and swap the names around, you're rooting for Bart because you just think, screw you, Martin. You're an asshole. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah. can. Then outside, he's pulling faces. I mean, yeah, not cool. But actually, <laughs> smart kids smart kids don't get a good rap in this episode because the um, all the kids at the learning annex or whatever the fuck it's called, um, yeah, they Douche turn bags. into- yeah, they turn out to be little douches. Yeah, not good at all. Uh, it would have been nice, I, I feel, and I get they're, very, they're short on time. It would have been nice if there was at least one friendly person at that school because they were just yeah, all uh, knobheads. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the girl who sort of introduces Bart to the hamsters yeah, seems relatively cool. I mean, she's you know, not the one who's you know sort of talking in palindromes or what's it, backward phonetics or something along the line. All mm. those kids, they, they all need swirlies. There's a... Another story there where Bart starts a budding romance with that hamster girl. And oh, then really? She she must no no no. I'm just making this up now. I'm just saying that there's, <laughs> there's, no, there's, no, there's no idea there. So Bart's the the regular bad boy, and she's this intelligent kid. She has to decide between bad boy and genius, <laughs> and being on the co- yeah, staying on the college track or uh, yeah, hanging out with a bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so so Bart gets caught red-handed. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, and see, and that's the other bad thing that Martin does. He just makes the shit joke about. Looks like you caught him red-handed. Oh, God, most obvious joke ever. Yeah, but that's not Martin's fault. That's the writer's fault. That's John Vitti's fault. But still, no, no. they've given they've given that to Martin. Oh no, no, Martin's, Martin's a dickhead. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
Here, though, what they also do is they, as I mentioned earlier, set up the dynamic between Skinner and Bart in that they have Bart say, same time, same place. So, they're establishing here, he's the rebel of the school. This isn't uncommon. He's always going to the principal's office. Yes. No stranger to the principal's office. Absolutely. Yes. We are now in the class. And what I don't get here is Martin clearly isn't sorry for dobbing on Bart because he goes and pokes his tongue at him when he's out the window. Mm. Or or does he poke his tongue out at him because he goes to apologise to him and Bart tells him to get bent? Is that why he was a smart-ass to him out the window? Mm, I because think Mar- that- Martin, tr- Martin tries to ease it. He, he walks up and says, I'm sorry. But Bart says, like, go away, get bent, which I can understand. But is that why Martin was rude to him afterwards, do you I've, think? I think that is probably the case. I mean, I, I'm not 100% sure that Martin's apology is sincere. No, I, I think- don't think so either. I think he's probably just trying to, you know, keep from getting his ass kicked a bit later. <laughs> he wants his lunch money in his pocket. <laughs> I did I did write here the animation for Martin when he's first walking up and approaching Bart is atrocious. It is so bad. <laughs> he looks so his head is so round, it's ridiculous. Oh, it's worth no. it's worth checking out. But then Mrs. K explains the whole IQ test and it's you know not that important. It's just gonna define your future. <laughs> Social status and financial success, if any. We never did this in Australia, did we? The whole it's in an episode as well of The Simpsons called Separate Vocations where you take a test that's gonna define what career you're gonna take and things like that. Yeah, I don't recall doing anything like that. Uh, I wonder if it's, it must be a common thing in America, but we never I've never maybe I did take a test, I just don't remember. I don't think I ever <laughs> took an IQ test in any way at school, did you? Uh, to the best of my recollection, no. No. Uh, but that but was anyway. a long time. It was a long time ago. And, you know, <laughs> I'm imagining a um, a careers guidance counsellor saying to you, Dando, it's like, I imagine, son, that you're going to do well in the uh, the burgeoning field of podcasting. What's a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, Martin here, once again, little douchebag, reminds Mrs. K that Bart has to face the window so he doesn't cheat from other people. And then we get Bart struggling. Mrs. K is kind of mean to Bart here, but again, you know, teachers, especially no, elementary, I'd, they've had enough. <laughs> I'm, ve- but I'm very much with Bart here. I mean, particularly when faced with, a kind, with this kind of problem, and we'll get to that in a second. But I mean, I like to sort of talk it out. One of the reasons I'm kind of scared to move in with the lovely Louise is like I talk to myself a lot. I don't think it necessarily means that I'm insane, but when it comes to sort of, you know, nutting out problems or sort of just, you know, figuring out what I want to do, you know, with my day or something, I'll be sort of like, eh, okay, well, I could do this or I could do that. Just as, and saying it out loud tends to, I don't know, frame it well for me. So I get the feeling if I moved in with Lou, she'd be like, who, who are they talking to? <laughs> You're in the kitchen cooking, talking to yourself. Her kids are like, mom. He's talking to himself again. <laughs> <laughs> she tells Bart to visualize it. So he does. And we get this really great dream sequence, which they do quite a lot of in the earlier seasons of The Simpsons. But this one in particular stands out. It's very memorable. It actually makes me anxious watching it. At 7.30 a.m., an express train traveling 60 miles an hour leaves Santa Fe bounce to Phoenix, 520 miles away. Shh. Visualize it, Bart. At the same time, a local train traveling 30 miles an hour and carrying 40 passengers leaves Phoenix bound for Santa Fe. It's eight cars long and always carries the same number of passengers in each car. An hour later, the number of passengers equal to half the number of minutes past the hour get off, but three times as many plus six get on. At 
the second stop, half the passengers plus two get off, but twice as many get on as got on at the first stop. Ticket, please. I don't have a ticket. Come with me, boy. We've got the stowaway, sir. Okay, how much? Twice the fare from Tucson to Flagstaff minus two-thirds of the fare from Albuquerque to El Paso. <laughs> It's a bit reminiscent of Worker and Parasite a bit later on, but it's got that whole sort of old school German expressionism look that, you know, was very big in the 1920s. There are movies like The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and Metropolis and all that kind of stuff that borrow very, that they use light and shadow really effectively. They use really weird angles just to put you on edge. And you, you're right, you do see it a bit in early Simpsons. I think, you know, they they wanted to set themselves apart in terms of their animation by, yeah, drawing on some uh, some unusual influences. And, they, and it works really well. Plus, you know, I think it suits the question as well because, honest to God, when, they, you know, when Bart's talking about the math test that he got to do, I'm no fan of those ones that's like a train starts this end and goes this way at this speed and then, it, you know, another one's going this fast from this direction, blah, blah, blah. What time will they meet? It's like, fucking hell, this is a Will Hunting problem. (laughs) (laughs) When will I ever encounter this problem in my my day-to-day life? (laughs) I will never, ever, ever. But, uh, yeah, so they're giving it to, what, a a fourth grader? Oh, my God. What I liked about it was that David Silverman has said to build the tension in this sequence, each scene, each shot is one frame shorter than the one that precedes it. Oh, Okay. So, so as as each shot goes on, it is one frame shorter to make it, you know, sort of move faster, like the tension's building, which I thought was a pretty yeah. cool little thing. Which is you wouldn't really notice it because it's only one frame, but still, mm. it must have worked because I legitimately was getting anxious watching it. Like yeah. it, it really built the tension well. Exactly. To to quote uh, our friends at Red Letter Media, you may not have noticed it, but your brain did. So, Bart, you know, he's bothering the kids apparently because he, he sort of fall off. Does he fall off his chair or does he just sort of scream? He does something. I think he, ah, and falls off his chair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a line that's always stuck with me for some reason. Mrs. K, is that those naughty dogs again? Why are the dogs naughty? What do you think they're doing? <laughs> I think it's each other, <laughs> sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe that is the case. Uh, what I liked was the kids. Uh, sorry, uh, Bart, there are some kids in this class that have the chance to do well. Stop bothering them. <laughs> But Martin has finished, as you said, goes outside and just starts poking his tongue at Bart, which is where we get the uh, the, the, dog, the dog line. This is where Bart swaps the test. Now, during the commentary, David Silverman has said, if this wasn't the earlier episodes, it was later on, there definitely would have been a music cue here because there's sort of like 10 seconds of just, not silence, but sort of nothing happening. It's just sort of Bart rubbing out the, the names and changing the names over where in a, in a later episode, there would have been a sort of like a little mischievous mischief uh, music yeah. cue there, you know, to sort of break it up a bit. But yeah, so he swapped the names over and now everyone thinks that Martin's test is Bart's and Bart's test is Martin's. I always love the just when you're filling out a test. <laughs> I feel like I used to do that as well when I was filling out a test. So Marge and Homer are now walking into the school. And I think I might just play this clip of Homer. He's just, it's just so great. He's a good boy now and he's getting better. And sometimes even the best sheep stray from the flock and need to be hugged extra hard. That's exactly the kind of crapola that's lousing him up. Hey, look at this. I am a wiener. <laughs> he sure is. <laughs> he sure is. How good is it? 
<laughs> I am a wiener. <laughs> he sure is. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> Just to pronounce it, we- wiener. <laughs> <laughs> it shows how good Bart's uh, spray painting abilities must be since he knows who it is. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> But it's just so great because Homer's just, you know, the whole Bart needs to get set straight and then just laughs at what Bart, at the, laughs at the reason they're there, you know. So Homer is not happy with having to pay for this, you know, he doesn't think it's something that yeah, he should have to do. I did love the little nod there where Bart has his own draw in, in the files because he's just so oh, naughty. That's right, yeah. Nice little <laughs> touch there. And then we get one of, this is my second favorite moment in the episode, the, the, the writing. <laughs> Where oh. Skinner thinks it's blatant forgery, <laughs> and it's just Homer's writing. <laughs> oh, uh, after, after I got roasted by a few members of the patrons group for showing my uh, handwritten uh, show notes, um, yes, I can I can relate. <laughs> Doctor Pryor then arrives, and Skinner thinks he's going to be tearing him to shreds. Well, basically, Doctor Pryor saves the day here for Bart because Skinner's about to expel him. That's what they're implying, anyway. Mm-hmm. And then he walks in and explains, no, Bart is actually gifted. He's actually a genius and no one wants to believe it. They, they, how can that be possible? He shows a test. So we get the, the 912, which that gag doesn't actually work because 912 upside down does not look like 216 or vice versa. You know what I mean? The two, This is, two this upside- is Homer we're dealing with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that's the only saving grace for this game, the fact that it's Homer. Yes, exactly. But then we get Pryor evaluating Bart, um, just doing all measurements and whatnot, um, mm. blames all of his previous bad behavior on the fact that he's just been bored and says that he you know he recommends a school for the gifted and this is something that Skinner agrees with because it means okay well it means that he's out of my hair I don't have to worry about him anymore and Matt don't- Groening has said that one of the story arcs they were going to have in the earlier seasons was Skinner always trying to think of a way to get Bart out of the school so this is sort of like the, the first little hint at that well I do love that um that ooh better yet <laughs> it's um, yes ex- exactly yeah Harry's great with lines like that Skinner in this episode, he isn't a wiener yet. Do you know what I mean? But like he becomes sort of like a mama's boy later on. He's sort of like a yeah, not a not a wimp, but he becomes sort of very. He's easily defeated by the kids and whatnot. Where here he still has some sort of level of authority and power. You know. Yeah. Then we, we end this scene with a great line. It's usually hereditary or the the environment they're raised in, or sometimes it's just a total mystery. <laughs> <laughs> We come back from commercial and Marge and Homer are getting Bart ready for school. You know, very proud of their son. Marge is trying to do his hair and whatnot. And uh, Homer's saying, oh, he's, it doesn't suggest to Lisa that she should try some of the, the breakfast cereal as well because he wants two gifted kids. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's one of, some of the chemicals in Frosty Krusty Flakes will, uh, yeah, uh, sharpen up Lisa as well. And But uh, that's weird though because, oh, actually, no, it's not weird. But <laughs> it's nice that, you know, Marge is trying to force a grown-up breakfast onto him, you know, bacon and eggs. It looked like she was trying to give him a cup of coffee as well. Yeah. Oh, there's a little uh, story here that they kind of hinted at throughout the episode, but it wasn't really played up much where I, f- I feel like they could have had Lisa be a bit more jealous of Bart's newfound uh, attention, you know? Well, I think, because I she, think they she is the gifted up, one. They sum it up quite nicely. And I think it's the I think it's the written line. I think it's especially the delivery where um, she says, you're a dimwit. You know, that's pretty, that's, it's not super harsh, but it's pretty harsh. It's very mean, really. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort and of I her way of saying, that, I, know that, I know you've done something here. I don't know what you've yeah. done, but I know you've done something. 
Yeah, it's it's got a bit of suspiciousy. It's a, <laughs> suspiciousy. It's it's got suspicion. It's got yep. jealousy. Yeah, and it's got a bit of a it's got a bit of anger in there as well. So I think I don't I don't think you need to go much further than that. I think that for mine that sort of sums up Lisa's part and attitude in this uh, in this episode. We get them Bart of the well. This Dimwit is now on Easy Street, so he, he <laughs> he's sort of hinting at there. Yeah, I know you're on to me, but just you know, just leave me alone. Just let, let me do my thing. They then arrive at the Enriched Learning Center for Gifted Children, and Homer here is really showing support for Bart. You know, he's doing his helping him do his tie. It's actually kind of a little sweet moment, isn't it? Like father and son. Yeah, the whole tie business. Oh, it's, yeah, it's very sweet. You know, and um. And they put a nice little cherry on the on it, I mean a, a nice humorous cherry on the thing with it. You may do something a Simpsons ever done. You may outsmart someone. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a lovely line. Oh no, ties! Don't worry, son. You can have mine. Here, let me show you how to put on a tie. The hook goes over the top, and these things go in there. Thanks, Dad. You kissed me. Well, there's nothing wrong with a father kissing his son. I think. Now go on, boy, and pay attention, because if you do one day, you may achieve something that we Simpsons have dreamed about for generations. You may outsmart someone. I think it's very nice that, you know, these characters, you know, for all their flaws and that, they're essentially good and sensitive people underneath it all, even if they don't realise it themselves. I think they sort of do want what's best for one another. And, you know, they do care about one another. But, you know, they also know, as families do, how to push each other's buttons and just, you know, drive each other crazy. Yeah, but that, that's just it, though. Like you said, that's that's just family. That's that's real it life. Is, that's yeah. why The Simpsons work so much, because for, for so long on television, you had the perfect family on TV, which wasn't a really honest representation of what life is like, you know, in a, in a family household. But The Simpsons well, unfortunately, was, you know. Yeah, unfortunately, the, the perfect family was the Cosby family. Arr! <laughs> yes, it certainly was. <laughs> We're now, yeah, so Bart's going into the class and Miss Mallon, his learning coordinator, basically explains to him that you can just do what you want. You can read books, you can, although you can't read the comic book. <laughs> you can, uh, you can, yeah, just, just, just hang out. If you want to go to have a sleep, you can have a sleep, whatever. Uh, I don't think I would want to go to this school because although you have the freedom to do what you want, it just doesn't seem like a very fun place to be. But maybe that's just because I'm not a genius. I don't know. It doesn't seem that fun. And it's, I mean, I think even brilliant kids at that level, yeah, need some form of direction at the very least. And like, for all Miss Malone's kind of, um, hey, do what you want, let your head down, you know, learn at your own pace, et cetera, it does seem like there's some kind of structure. I mean, she's kind of contradicting herself because, I mean, they've, you know, they're doing science experiments or they're having philosophical discussions. I mean, it doesn't look like you can sort of sit that shit out. I mean, you do have to be involved. So, I don't know, man. Walk it like you talk at Learning Institute. It's just like when the kids were all speaking in backwards phonetics and things like that, it just reminded me of being, I mean, I've never actually experienced this, but I can just only imagine it would be like being in a room full of comedians who are just trying to out-funny each other. Oh, yeah. It, it would get so old so fast. Absolutely. No, I, I've mentioned swirlies before and I've written down here, Bart's study group all needs swirlies. <laughs> Bart wants to read the comic She says What did she say It was used In their stage uh, play For illiteracy Yeah they made a skit About illiteracy Or something along those lines Yeah Then we get him So Bart here 
they're showing off how he's a normal kid because not only does he want to read the comic, they see this hamster, all the other kids, as just a science experiment. But he looks at a hamster as a hamster. You know, oh, hey, yeah. cute little hamster. He's just a normal kid. He's not a scientist. He's not, he, like, he doesn't see it as a thing. He sees it as an animal, which is what most normal kids would do. Now, they, they, uh, Matt Granny mentioned that they could, the only way they could have the we're dissecting him next week gag is by having him escape when Bart does the explosion at the end. They feel if they didn't have him escaping at the end, this line would have been too harsh and they wouldn't have kept it in. Yeah, as I said, Bart's just an average kid way in over his head in, in here. And um, so, she asks for all different paradox from the different kids. And I don't know, I just wrote here, these kids are all, these kids are wieners. <laughs> <laughs> I actually feel, I really feel sorry for Bart in this scene. But, but put yourself in this kid's shoes. He's done something that he knows is wrong. But then imagine the, the anxiety of being put in a situation where you have to try and come up with a paradox without even actually knowing what it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it sucks for Bart, but it's also a, you know, sort of a good morality play as well. Don't lie about being smarter than you are. <laughs> but the, I think that what got me the most was the kids taking advantage of him at lunchtime. It's just so cruel. <laughs> yeah, and, and they're really reveling in it as well. You know, when, the way one says, mm, a rather mediocre genius, like, eh, eat shit. Yeah, <laughs> that's... Eat shit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this this is why I don't go to the Academy for the Gifted because you know my my retort to any sort of argument is yeah, eat shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and by the way, get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So we come back from commercial. Bart is now in his bedroom reading the comic that he's clearly stolen from school, and. He's, he's trying to pretend like he's learning things. So, he's, the os-os is backwards for so-so and things like that. Homer's just enthralled. He's, you know, he's so impressed. He's so proud of his son. Says, let's go out for some chocolate frosty milkshakes. They got rid of that line quickly. That was something they played up a lot in the um, in the Tracy Ullman shorts and whatnot and obviously mm. still transitioned over to the show, but didn't last all too long. I think true heads sort of know. I think, you know, if you say frosty chocolate milkshakes, people are certainly veterans are going to go, ah. Simpsons reference. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, particularly when you say that, you know it's an old school Simpsons reference. It's very Oh yeah, very yeah. It's very, very early, early nineties reference. Yeah. I think I, th- or, I think it would have been used in a lot of marketing campaigns as well, right? I wouldn't be surprised, yeah, but it's you know, like saying, I am tired of these jokes about my giant hand. Or something <laughs> along those lines. <laughs> or I've I've said this on the show in the past, but I mean I, how many times in my life have I said, I'm sweat like Roger Ebert, you know what I mean? <laughs> The, yeah, the late lamented Roger Ebert, but I mean, you know, how many people know a who know that name, know that he's fat, you know, <laughs> know that he's sweaty? I mean, I don't know, but um, I God, I use it all the time, and you know, invariably when I say it, you know, you get that kind of eh, yeah, this guy knows. <laughs> yeah, I, I, The Simpsons is one of those shows where the more deep cut the reference, when someone gets it. Like, you're friends for life. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we then, yeah, Marge has now bought tickets for the opera. Homer doesn't want to go, but then it, she drags them all along. Whenever I used to watch this as a kid, I used to go, why are they playing the Geelong Football Club theme song? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Lise, keep an eye out for a guy with the peanuts. There's no guy with peanuts, dear. Cheese, no beer, no opera dogs. Shh. Don't spit on the floor, 
please use the cuspidor. That's what it's for. Walker, <laughs> stop fooling around. Homer, stop encouraging him. Don't stifle the boy, Marge. We're supposed to encourage him. Shh! No way a bull's gonna miss a target that big, man. <laughs> Who are those people? Hey, you. When is this over? It ain't over till the fat lady sings. Is that one fat enough for you, son? <laughs> Let's go get a burger. I don't know. I just like the idea of opera dogs <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> uh, no beer, <laughs> no opera dogs. Uh, it's yeah. That's one thing I was when I was in America. I didn't get a chance to, but I wanted to go to the baseball and just have a hot dog at the baseball. It just seems like <laughs> one of the quintessential American things. <laughs> And it, yeah, by the way, it is actually called the Toreador song. It is the popular name for the aria. Oh, I'm going to butcher this. Mm. Votre, I think it's toast. Votre toast, je peux vous le vendre from the Opera Carmen conducted by Georges Bizet. Okay, well, there you go. But commonly known as the Toreador song, and of course, known by people of uh, taste worldwide as the Geelong Football Club theme song. <laughs> <laughs> Your dad would have sung it many a time. Mm-hmm. Our banner's flying high from dawn to dark down at Gardenia Park. That's one good thing about AFL football, Australian rules football, is we have theme songs. I don't know whether many sports around the world have like the this, this, this song that they sing as a, in a huddle after a win. I don't, no, know that's don't a, so. I, don't, I don't think that's commonplace with many sports. I know you get a lot of sort of national anthems when you're playing, you know, like World Cups and stuff like that. And there's chants and things like that, yeah. Yeah, but no, actual sort of theme songs, and particularly when it comes to the AFL and the sort of the original clubs that were in the VFL, yeah, a lot of them are derived from opera or classical music or whatever. It's, it's, it's quite hilarious, actually. <laughs> it is when uh, there was an American guy called, I think it's Pat McAfee or something like that. He's a former rugby player. He saw a football game with Geelong and he has like a podcast and he was just like up and about and like dancing to the music going, they, they win this game and they sing this fucking song. And he goes, it's the greatest <laughs> thing in the world. <laughs> it, was just, it was just interesting seeing an American enthralled by the fact that we sing this song because we've just always just it's just commonplace here we're just like oh yeah it's just a theme song but no it's not normal but it's it's actually a really great part of our sport but anyway enough about afl (laughs) uh so yeah so they're at the the, uh the opera as we said and um what i liked here was bart and homer were bonding over the fact that they're both sort of being naughty and whatnot but this is something that homer and bart wouldn't have been able to bond over had he not been dubbed a genius Smart. you know homer yeah. would have been annoyed by this but now even lisa gets involved but it just yeah like i said at the start epitomizes the simpsons just your regular family a fish out of water just behaving 
rambunctiously and just having a good time. It was a really good bonding moment, really. Look, opera is a beautiful art form and clearly there are people who dig it, but I think the average Joe is, would you know, rather do a lot of things than spend a night at the opera. <laughs> <laughs> the, the best part about this, not the best part, I shouldn't say the best part, what I really dug was the final line here where you know, they've been a bit naughty, Marge is a little bit annoyed, but Homer just ends up by saying, let's just go get a burger. Like yeah. That is <laughs> so regular, normal family. I just thought it was a really well-written line. Let's just go get yeah, a burger. You know? It's like, yeah, come on, let's loosen the ties. This this isn't us. <laughs> yes, exactly. We're now back at school and we get the RDRR. I'm like, ah, oh, shut up, Miss Mellon. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bart wanders back to his old school where he sees his friends. This is the thing. Just because Bart's going to the school, why is he all of a sudden not allowed to hang out with his friends anymore? Has he not seen them outside of school? They, they, they just don't like him anymore. Well, true. Even Millhouse has a go. Yeah, that was a bit harsh, really. I, I guess they hadn't really established that Millhouse was his best friend yet. No. No, but um, I, it was a really nice little uh, little visual guide there when he walks past his old spray painting and it's now dubbed The Principal <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by Bart Simpson. But yeah, the kids are very, very harsh to Bart here. And it's, it's very easy to feel sorry for Bart. Even though he's done the wrong thing, it's very easy to feel sorry for him in this episode. And you're really rooting for him. So we're now at the family dinner. And Marge has bought tickets for a film festival this time. And Bart's like, oh, God, I don't want to have to do all this. So Homer's like, nope, we don't, we don't have to, you know? <laughs> and, yes, I like Homer. So. Uh, we're going to a film festival directed by some Swedish meatball. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would have really dug that. <laughs> I dig it. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing they're talking about the uh, the wonderful filmmaker Ingmar Bergman, who was kind of shorthand uh, sort of in the mid to late 20th century for like art film. You know, it's like... Oh, yes, you can watch your Planet of the Apes if you like, but I myself am, you know, choosing to watch something black and white by Ingmar Bergman. And, you know, it's like, woof. <laughs> Check out the brainiac here. So um, <laughs> for Homer to sort of denigrate, it's like, there's eh, some Swedish meatball. <laughs> oh, I enjoyed that. We then get them out the backyard bonding over, what do you call this? Is it just throwing the ball? Like, like, like what? Playing catch to, is what they call it, right? Playing catch? They- to quote Field of Greens, it's just have a catch. <laughs> just have a catch, yeah. It's a really great scene, this. We don't get too many scenes in the show's run, really, of Bart and Homer bonding. We get one in Saturdays of Thunder where they make the um, the go-kart together and things like that. Mm. But there aren't too many moments where Bart and Homer bond like this. And what I loved about this was we're now doing season 13 and Homer has just become a bit of a goofball, really. Yes. But here, he's actually being a genuinely good dad, you know, he's being a father. And it's not something that we see all too often in the show, just him playing catch with his son, father and son moment. I thought it was really, really great. Uh, One thing I did notice here too, it felt a little bit jarring, was the fact that he kept referring to Bart as son. Mm. That's that's something they tended to scrap not not too long after this, but it's not not Bart. It's always, what do you mean, son? Tell me about it, son. can Can you still see me, son? Like I just in, in this moment, I noticed that a lot. He kept saying, referring to Bart as son, which is okay. something they um, which is something they they don't have him do all too often. Um, but yeah, but overall, what did you think of this scene? I, I really really dug it. I thought it was just it was very sweet. Yes, I mean any father and son bonding scene is uh, is okay by me, and this was a perfectly nice one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see the Australian equivalent of this is going to play. I don't know like kick to kick at the back or something, right? Yes, that's exactly what it is, or a bit of backyard cricket. Backyard cricket, yeah. But I think if it's just like back and forth, quickly, quick stuff, I think it's just kick to kick, yeah. 
we're now back at the uh, at the school, the en- Enriched Learning Centre, and Bart, he's struggling to find a lab partner. No one wants to partner up with him because they all think he's uh, not very bright. And mm. then he gets warned, you do know what happens when you mix acids with bases, right? Of course. Kablamo. <laughs> <laughs> Everything turns green. Yes, but uh, we also get the escape of the uh, of the hamsters. Yes, which was the the only reason they could have the uh, the line earlier, like I said. And it was <laughs> for me. I was just watching it, going, "Oh yeah, you go hamster. Do, you you don't get dissected." So <laughs> we're now back at Pryor's office, and did you see on the wall what he had behind him? I did the the uh, corresponding pictures of Barton Einstein. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. A great line here. So basically, Pry's trying to work out what's going on here. You know, you're a genius. Why is it not working at the center? You know, it doesn't take a Bart Simpson to know something's wrong, which is I thought was a really good line. Bart wants to go back to to his regular school, and he comes up with the uh, the idea of maybe going undercover. I thought you would appreciate the Jane Goodall reference here. Oh yes, big fan of Jane Goodall. So <laughs> like Jane Goodall and the Chimps, but I also think it's a really good idea by Bart as well. It's a good bit of ass covering. As yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, that, well, as we as we've established with the Quidjibo, he's quick on his feet. He's mm-hmm. he's come up with this plan on the fly. But I, I getting back to Jane Goodall. Apparently, she really appreciated the fact that she was mentioned in this episode. She watched it. She oh. sent some signed books to the staff. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, Jane Goodall. She's like a saint on earth. <laughs> she's a good egg. That Jane Goodall. She is indeed. That Jane Goodall. She's all good. <laughs> Now, listeners, I'm going to make you all aware that Guy had us pause the recording. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, throw me under the bus, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was worth it, though. It was worth it. It was certainly worth it. (laughs) So, yes, Bart starts writing his proposal. And it's been said that they had this as one long continuous shot to balance out the, the quick shots from the dream sequence and because earlier on there's a lot of quick shots. Oh, yes, yes. Um, so this is sort of one long drawn out one, but I think also it added to the to the, 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 the vibe of the scene. You know, Bart's just, he's trying to think of, of something, but he just can't anymore. He's just, he's had enough. He's tired. He's just, it's just time to come clean. My proposal by Bart Simpson, I want to pretend I am a regular dumb kid. Period. By this, I hope... Oh, no. For this, I will... Um... Require... Oh, oh, man. My confession by Bart Simpson. I am a regular dumb kid, period. I cheated on my intelligence test. Period. Ah, finished already. <laughs> Principal Skinner will be very interested to see. Yeah. You know, you misspelled confession. It was great here from Pryor, wasn't it? The whole, you know, you misspelled confession. <laughs> yeah, that that's a night. That's a beautiful little sort of uh, yep, yeah, to that scene. So Bart has now gone back home. And home office to clean off all the green stuff. You know what, what does he say? You know Einstein turned himself all sorts of colours before you invented the light bulb. Yeah, that's a that's a terrific little line as well. Dad, I got to tell you something. Hope you won't be too mad. What is it, son? I'm not a genius, Dad. What? I cheated on the intelligence test. I'm sorry, but I just want to say that the past few weeks have been great. 
Me and you have done stuff together. You've helped me out with things, and we're closer than we've ever been. I love you, Dad. And I think if something can bring us that close, it can't possibly be bad. Why, you little... Uh-oh. What's going on up there? I think Bart's stupid again, Mom. So the animators hate watching this scene because their mouth doesn't match the audio at all. Oh, okay. Basically, they had several different attempts. This is the best they could come up with. So, yeah, it doesn't look like he's actually saying the words properly. But the delivery, though, I think Nancy was fantastic in this scene, particularly in this moment. The whole I love you, Dad, and everything. I, it mm. really got to me. I thought it was actually quite a beautiful moment. You know, this it's his son who's never really gotten along with his dad, finally been bonding over something, even though the whole what they've been bonding over is a lie. He's come clean, but he's like, look, I know it's a lie, but can we just continue going the way we've been going because this has been great? And that's why I didn't really like the way Homer responded. I know it was played for laughs and you have to go back to the way things are. You have to you know, come full circle. But still, I don't know. It just made, I feel like well, it kind of portrayed the Homer character in a, in a negative light, the way he responded. You're a sucker for parent-child bonding moments, Dan. I think we we can all see that. We all appreciate it, admire it. We love it. Um, so, um, yes, I can see why you'd be a little uh, a little put out that uh, they return to factory settings at the very end and, you know, Homer factory, gets all sort of- Factory settings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Homer's sort of back to- and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I've, I think it's a nice way to end with that kind of- um, It's almost like two steps forward, one step back. In a way, it's like, you know, the potential for caring for one another and recognising each other's, one another's strengths and all that kind of stuff is there, but uh, we're not going to, we're not going to make too much forward motion this time around. We're going to have to go back at, at least one, one step or two. Well, what I've got here is the reason this worked was because on 90% of television shows when this first aired, you would have had a nice happy ending here. Like if this was Full House and one of the kids was coming clean to Bob Sagan, oh yeah, he he would have gone. Don't worry about it. You've learnt your lesson. Just give me a cuddle. Cue nice music. End episode. But no, this is yeah. The Simpsons. This is a new show. This is Fox Television. The dad is pissed <laughs> off now. He's going to ch- chase his son through the house. Yeah. And we also get some nudity as well. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot a of bit butt. of bum. A lot of butt. <laughs> Which I guess was that particularly in animation. That's not something you would have seen ever, right? I don't think so. Well, outside of you know, sort of. Um, adult animation like from the seventies and eighties, like Fritz the Cat, which had one of the um one of the all time great taglines: "He's X-rated and animated." <laughs> That's actually pretty good. Uh, so but you know he's stupid again, as as Lisa says. She's so she's all happy. She's now the smart kid in the family again. I feel like Marge's reaction was a bit sort of flat, but you know it's just played yeah. for laughs. You know, you know. Uh, oh well, well yeah, everything's back yeah. to normal again. And um, all in all, yes, I think it was. Whilst I didn't really think it portrayed Homer in a real positive light, it was the correct way to end this episode as a whole. It, it was the way they should have gone. It all played well. It was all funny stuff. This episode, yeah, one of my favorites from the earlier years. I think it's really, really solid. It's got plenty of good laughs. A few moments here, you sort of go, yeah, I'm not too sure about that. But, you know, it's the second episode of all time. They were still working out what the show was at this point. So in regards to the, the rest of, like, say, season one, Parts of season two, I think this is still one of the best ones. I think it's definitely a standout in the uh, from the uh, the early seasons of the show. You're right. What did we learn, Palmer? So, what did you learn from the episode, Mister Davis? Oh, it's very simple. Don't mix acids and bases. <laughs> That's exactly what I had here as well. What else could I have learned? <laughs> I, I could have learned. 
Oh, you, 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 if you go to the opera, do not expect peanuts. <laughs> There's no peanut guy. But yeah, but an opera dog, that certainly sounds delicious, right? I'm, mm, I think I'm going to try and come up with the, uh, the toppings that one would have on an opera dog. What would be on an opera dog, do you think? Does it have to be, it has to be classy, right? It can't I think just be ketchup so. and mustard. I'm trying to think which nationality is sort of synonymous with opera. You tend to think Italian. I th- it's some something European, yeah. Yeah, but having said that, there may be like um, German opera as well, at which point you'd get you'd get yourself a, a really nice sort of like Kransky or something. Bratwurst. Uh, yeah, a nice Bratwurst. And, you know, you top it with you can't, sour- you can't You can't just say bratwurst. It's bratwurst. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course you have to say bratwurst. Uh, I, lo- oh, I love a good fruity German accent. It's, you know, it's why I will just, I'm ride and die for, hey, fun boys, get the room, or anything <laughs> like that. But um, I think you have to have some bratwurst with, um, you know, you cover it with sauerkraut. And, you know, and I imagine some type of, um, you know, like a, a really rich tomato we relish kind of deal a, you know a, a hot mustard yeah some sort of saute a, onions quite oh yeah Absol- oh would that mix with the sauerkraut oh well yeah probably I, yeah I, I, I imagine because there's more than one nation that does opera that you could have a variety of opera dogs like palmy night <laughs> Like Palmy Night, 100%. Oh, I'm going to think about this a bit more. I'm going to look up famous operas and the nations and, you know, the nationalities that they're sort of derived from and then come up with a dog for each. I think that would be a good idea. That's that's your job for the week. I say I'm going to do this. I'm probably not going to do this. But, uh, (laughs) But it's certainly fun to think about for the duration of this episode. From this day forward, your name shall be... All right, Mr. Davis, it is time for the four-figure discount revisited Guy Davis new name championship. Uh, the current Lord. leaderboard stands at this. In On one point, Garode Harrahill. On two points, D.L. Gorman. And on three points, Jade Fairley. So, mm. Bart the Genius, what have been some of the new names? Have you got some notable mentions to kick us off, or are you going to go straight go- to the 3-2-1? I'm going to give you three notable mentions. Ooh, do it. Before we get into whole gold, silver, and bronze. Um... Two variations from two uh, delightful patrons. Tally were in re- well, Gingerfield, first of all, gave us Green and Barrett. Not bad. Which is pretty good. And then Tally Enriquez came along with the arses greener on the other side. <laughs> That's actually great. <laughs> yeah. So a, f- a fine one two punch from, uh, from our friends there. And um, also Henrik Winterland. Again with the accent. Sorry, Henrik. Um, gave us good bart hunting, which I thought Ooh, was uh, very good. appropriate. Yes, yes. But one point goes to Neil Parks. Neil uh, Parks. What's he got? Who brought us great, oh, sorry, grade expectations. Mm, yeah, very good stuff. Mm. Two points. That really, really encompasses the entire story. It does. It's a really good one. I mean, I had a. It was a tough one, sort of divvying up the uh, the points this time around. But uh, two of them go to our man Giroid Harahill. Oh, um, he's on three points now. Um, I like what he did here with Bart in outsmarting Martin. <laughs> it sounds like a tongue. It sounds like a tongue twister. It does. It, but it's vintage gear. That's that's vintage good stuff. Gear. From, it's it. <laughs> It's classic gear. Um, so, nice work from Giroid Harahill. Two points to him, but three points goes to 
Philip Hawkins. Phil Hawkins. What's Phil Hawkins got for this week? Well, Phil gave us two really good ones. Um, and forgive mm-hmm. me for being, uh, you know, unnecessarily familiar and calling you Phil, Mr. Hawkins. Um, I'll call you Philip from now on if you like. Um, but he gave us Bart of Smartness, which Ooh, I really liked. Yeah. And one that I really loved, IQ Rumba. Oh, well played, sir. That's, that's you know, that's an... Uh, Ali versus Foreman, one-two punch right there. That's just... <laughs> yeah. IQ the t- Rumber, two, I think is... The old two-piece feed from Philip Hawkins. The, the, the two-piece feed. Oh, fantastic, Dando. Well played, man. Uh, but yeah, IQ Rumber, I think, is just terrific. So, yes, he would have got the three points for that alone, but adding Bart of Smartness is just like, no, you've definitely earned it this time around. So, Philip Hawkins, three points. All righty. So, leaderboard now stands with Neil Parks, outright third position on one point. Uh, second position, outright second, D.L. Gorman. We have three people now on three points. We have Jade Fairley, Garod Harrowhill, and Philip Hawkins all on three for the four-figure discount revisited Guy Davis New Name Championships. Nice work, champions. All righty, over on the Twitter, Mr. Davis, we have a few good and sent in. So we've got here from at Sam the Angel Fox. They say from bar too smart, not too bad. Matthew Hamilton at Manham Jam, good name, uh, says you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Always enjoy a good dough pun there, as well as, oh, Michael Houston here, uh, at Mick underscore DeMarco, a battleful mind, pretty good. And Michael Irving, at Mike Irvo, says, Suneg et Trab, a play on the Os Os. By the way, check out Michael's new Facebook page. It is worst Simpsons collection ever. He has one of the biggest Simpsons collections I've ever seen, and it's well worth checking out. Let's head over now to the Instagram page, at Four Finger Discount. And what have our followers on here uh, commented this week? It's kind of the same stuff. Uh, so we've got another Sunig Ed Trab from uh, at say underscore Gordon 87, a play on the Osos. I am Miss Kathy says Bart the Stupid and at Quidjibo Joe. Uh, I, think, I think they've been sitting on this one for a while. The Rise of the Quidjibo. They've been looking forward to getting that one in there. So make sure you follow us on Instagram, guys, at Four Finger Discount and follow us on Twitter at Four Finger Pod. JaVale! JaVale is here! Okay, it's mailbag time, Mr. Davis. So... First question comes from our man, Henrik Vinterland. He says, did either of you ever cheat on a test that affected your life afterwards? Did you ever cheat on a test in general? I'll ask you that. Um, if I did, not in such a, not a really major way. I'm pretty sure that I would have, you know, occasionally looked over at a, um, you know, a science test or something like that. But I mean, never during like a major exam or anything like that. I mean, I think the ex- any exams that I sat were, you know, set up so, you know, cribbing off your uh, the next door neighbor at the you know the table over was just virtually impossible um no i don't think i ever really did i don't i don't think i ever really cheated on that many well, certainly not at important tests just on minor ones how about examples? you oh so inconsequential that i don't even remember but i do of course i've got sort of just you know quick little flashes of like Oh, yeah, I probably looked over at the person next to me to see what they said on, you know, question three or whatever because, you know, I was completely stumped. But I uh, I used to write notes on my hand all the time. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've only came to like year 11, year 12. I never cheated though. But um, yeah, the earlier years, they, those tests don't matter. I used to just write some stuff in my hand, fly through yeah. it. Um, <laughs> next question here comes from Will Manthorpe. He says, was there ever a subject in school that you particularly struggled in? I remember I had to pick an extra class. So I did year 12 media in year uh, year 10, 
No, I did year 11 media, sorry, in year 10. So I basically, when I got to year 11, could either have a spare or pick a class. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'll just pick an extra class. Why not? And I picked accounting because a lot of my friends are now accountants and they were doing the accounting class. I thought, well, most of my friends are in here. I'll do it. Man, I was bad at accounting. I legitimately <laughs> felt like Bart at the Enriched School for Gifted Children. It was like, because they like make accounting jokes. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and I was seen as like the black sheep. It was kind of just like the teacher. His name was Mr. Hay. We had this mutual agreement where it was just like, as long as you don't disrupt the kids, I'll pass you. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> deal. <laughs> uh, what about yourself? Yeah. Were you ever bad at school in a, cl- in a particular um, subject? I remember, I think it was like uh, year 11, form five. I think we called it fifth form back in the day. Year 11 now, they call it. Um, I remember sitting a history, if not like a final exam, then certainly a major test. And of course, you know, you're 16, 17 years old. Of course, you're not paying attention to, in history class, you're paying attention to, um, uh, you know, Mia McKenzie, the hottest girl in school. Or um, or anything else other than history. So I remember, yeah, sitting down and doing this thing, and there was a question about. I remember this part vividly, actually. A question about um, uh, this person was pivotal in the um, anti-slavery movement in the in in England. I think their name was William Wilberforce. The you know, the question was something like, oh, please outline three of William Wilberforce's ma- you know major anti-slavery sort of propositions. Blah blah blah, and I'm like. I honestly have no fucking idea who this person is. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I can't, I can't even write. I can't even come up with enough bullshit to write like a third of this. I just, I, I have to leave this completely back because I just don't know anything. <laughs> but I, I just remember at that moment going, yeah, I, <laughs> I might have to pull up my socks at some stage. I might have to stop paying attention to Mia McKenzie, gorgeous as she is. Mia McKenzie, what a name! She was honest to god, like. An angel f- fell from heaven. She was just the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> at, at that stage. Alrighty, guys. Well, thank you for sending any questions for Bart the Genius. The next episode of Four Figure Discount Revisited will be Homer's Odyssey. But if you are a patron, you can, of course, already listen to our reviews of Bart vs. Australia and I Love Lisa and Mr. Davis for the month of February. We're still taking some voting on uh, what the one for March is going to be, the monthly four-figure discount classic, revisited classic episode is going to be. It looks like it's going to be either Home of the Vigilante or Bart's Comet. So we shall find out what it is going to be. Mm. But both those episodes are fantastic and I cannot wait to review either of them. So yes, if you are a regular listener, you'll get all these episodes eventually. But if you want to jump ahead and hear the classic episodes now, it's going to be a four-figure discount patron at patreon.com slash four-finger discount. Thank you to everybody who has rated and reviewed us in the iTunes store. Love reading all of your reviews. Um, if you haven't done it yet, please do so. It only takes you a couple of moments. Just give us five stars and let us know what you like about the show. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Four Finger Pod and follow us on Instagram at Four Finger Discount. Uh, but for now, Mr. Davis, any final words for our incredible listeners? <laughs> I am a wiener. He sure is, listeners. 